The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Happy Easter, Grace. We're so excited to be with you. Whether you are joining us here in Orlando from your family room or your living room, or you're seeing this across the country, we're really thankful that you're here. We want you to know this, that we've been praying for you. We've been praying for you that God would show you his love and his mercy. We also want you to know that you are not alone. God is with you. We are with you. And I want to give a special shout out right now to all the healthcare providers, all the doctors, the nurses, the respiratory techs, and all the people who are aides and helping along this process and this crisis. We are so grateful for you. You guys, we know that you are doing double and triple time and you are working really hard. We know that you're exhausted. We're praying that you stay healthy. We're praying that you continue to do your best because we know you guys are extraordinary. Well, let's take some time right now to do what we are here for on Easter, and that is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to talk about the most important person in human history. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open right now to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking right now at verses 14 through 16. Let's read them, and we'll come back and look at them in closer depth. Here we go. Verse 14 starts like this. You are the light of the world a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and give it light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, let's take a look at this right now. It says, you are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to the church. He's talking to you. And this is what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. I have to tell you, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't like to think of myself as the light of the world. I like to think of Jesus as the light of the world. But he turns that equation around and he says, no, 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 you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill and it says this, that you cannot be hidden. That city, that light, it cannot be hidden. What does he mean by that? Well, here's what he means. He means that our mission flows out of who we are. That light that he talks about, It flows out of the mission of who we are. And who we are cannot remain hidden. What is on the inside will eventually show up on the outside. And so he goes on, he says, and that light, it gives light to all in the house. This is what he means. He means when you're a follower of Jesus, that light that's in you, his light that shines through you, for all the people who are under your roof, all the people who are in your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, people that are under your house, people that you have influence with, it makes a huge difference in their life. The gospel is so teaching and so healing that it transforms the way that we think and it transforms the way that we feel. There is goodness that flows out of the life of a believer. Now, not only does it impact those who are in the house, those that we have communion with, but it also impacts them in such a way that they give glory to their father, right? Look at what it says. So that they, others that is, may see our good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. At the end of the day, that's our hope, is that people will look at our lives and see our lives and see that ultimately our father's in charge. So what that means for us right now in the middle of a pandemic right now is it means that We're a little bit different in our responses. We have faith, and the Bible says that we do not grieve as those who have no faith. In other words, there's something dynamic on the inside of us that God has placed there, a kind of hope, a kind of peace, a kind of, and I just dare even say it, a kind of joy even in the middle of these circumstances that flows out of us so that when other people see it, it gives them hope, it gives them peace, it gives them life. That's why you are the light of the world. 
as we turn to um, some Easter passages right now, I want you to see that as what, as what we are on the inside flows out, so can things like fear and worry and those kinds of things, they can consume us. There was a, a real clear sense in the first century that as we celebrate Easter, the first century didn't have that celebratory attitude. The resurrection was a time of great joy, but the prior three days, it was filled with worry. It was filled with concern. There was a kind of unsettledness that was taking place in everyone's life. Why? Well, take for example, the disciples, the people who were the closest to Jesus. These 12 men and all of the other disciples, not the disciples proper, but all those others who were following him, all of them had placed much of their hope and expectation on Jesus. They had certain expectations that Jesus would build a kingdom here and that it would change the way that they would experience life in the here and now. And so when Jesus dies, there's a profound sense of loss. There's a profound sense of uncertainty. And in many ways, it's not unlike some of the uncertainties that we're going through right now. None of us expected the spring to look like this. We had different expectations and different kinds of things that we were going to be doing. But this is where we are. And one of the great challenges of where we are right now is that we have expectations of God. We look at him right now and we say, God, why are you allowing something like this to happen? Or man, I just, and we have frustrations and fears and worries. And it's good for us to share those with him. It's good for us to allow him to receive those from us. It's good for us to process that. But our expectations, just like the first century Christians' expectations, were that things are not working out the way that they were supposed to. And so the disciples, when Jesus died, he scatter. They do all kinds of things. I want you to take you just for a moment to the Apostle Peter, who has a profound experience with Jesus after the resurrection. But prior to that resurrection experience, those three days and leading up to the event of his crucifixion, he's lost. He denies Jesus three times. He finds himself being filled with fear and filled with worry. He denies Jesus three times. After the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus actually has to have a one-on-one conversation with Peter. We don't know the content of it, but what we know is that Jesus says, hey, Peter, it's not his words, but he says, hey, Peter, you're under my house. You're under my authority. You are, you are family to me and you betrayed me, but I'm gonna heal you. I'm gonna transform you. I'm going to give you new hope, a new life again. And after that conversation, Peter is a completely different man. So how can people have very different experiences of the resurrection? Some people, in fact, all the disciples just kind of left Jesus. The Bible says they looked at him or they saw the crucifixion from a distance. No one was standing there with him except for John, his best friend, and his mom. John and his mom. And those were the only two people, the rest of the disciples, they hid, hiding in an upper room one day, They have an encounter with Jesus. Let me read this from John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. It says this, On the evening of that day, what day? It's the first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Why were they up there? They were afraid that because Jesus died and because he was such a spiritual influence and because he had offended so many of the religious people, they were afraid that they were going to be next. And so they're hiding And it says this, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, so let's just take a look at this for a second. I don't know about you, but 
if I were Peter or if I were any of the other disciples who basically abandoned Jesus at the cross, I don't think that I would be thinking that when Jesus comes in the door, he's going to say, peace be with you. In fact, for many of us, especially if you're watching right now and you're not super religious, especially if you're watching right now and you definitely wouldn't call yourself a Christian. See, I know what that experience is like because I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have parents who told me about God. And because of that, I had very much the kind of experience maybe that you would have or maybe even the disciples thought that they were going to have when they see Jesus walk through the door, which is this, a punitive one. They thought Jesus, and it would make total sense if Jesus were to simply say, hey guys, why did you abandon me? Why did you leave me? Hey, Peter, why did you deny me three times? You said you would never deny me, Peter. It seems very sensible that Jesus would be frustrated. It seems very sensible that he would say anything else except peace be with you. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, peace be among you. And it changed him. The disciples were, were transformed by those words. He says, it says after that, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Jesus gave them just enough evidence for them to be able to say, it's really him. He walks in, I'll take you to that moment. Jesus walks into the door. But notice, the doors are locked. So something has changed in this resurrected Jesus. He seems to walk through, most scholars believe he just walks through that wall. I don't know how to describe that. I don't know how to explain it. But he walks through that wall. He stands among them. It's fearful time. They notice it's Jesus. Then he says, take a look at my hands. Here's where they put. Here's where they put the nails. Take a look at my feet. Here's my side. And all of a sudden they believed. He gave them just enough information so that they would believe. He spoke to each of them individually. But he said, peace be with you. So again, if you're trying to figure out this whole faith thing, if you're trying to figure out what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, one thing that you need to overcome and it's this, you need to overcome the belief that God is standing there ready to just destroy you. That's not what Jesus does at all. He comes to these guys and he says, hey, you failed me. You fell short, but peace be with you. That means peace will be restored between us. And that's the Father's heart for us, is that we would know him and know the peace that comes from a relationship with him. See, the disciples were comforted because he didn't get mad. He brought peace, not condemnation. He showed them evidence. So it's, it's an amazing thing. Just to, these guys were just kind of like, they were struggling. They were just flailing. They didn't know what to do. And it's in those times when we receive the comfort of peace be with you. A strong hand, a strong arm comes to support us, encourages us in the middle of whatever we're going through. And I don't know what your circumstances are right now. Some people are dealing with this just fine. Others are mad afraid. But I want you to understand that God will come to you in your own unique way, in the way that you need to hear him, the way that you need to feel his presence. God will speak to you in that way. I remember uh, when our son was really young and we were pretty poor, uh, but we went to a really fancy restaurant called Denny's. And uh, we were there, and my son was sitting in his high chair, right? And high chairs are just, you know, fancy chairs that keep your kid basically strapped in. And so what happened was, uh, he's just rocking back and forth, and he's playing with his Cheerios and doing whatever he's doing, and he's just rocking back and forth and rocking back and forth. Well, what happened was this chair literally started to fall backwards. And so it was crazy. My son's face, I'll never, ever forget his little face. He looked up at me, he had this massive, his eyes were wide open, he had this massive panic look. And then 
I don't know how it happened, guys, because this is not a brag in any way. But I'm telling you right now, like I just I reached over from my chair and he was wearing one of those onesies, and uh, I grabbed him in the middle of the fall, like right like this, and he's suspended, you know, like Tom Cruise, just kind of like that, right? And uh, and then I I got up to grab him and I looked at him, and he had this sense of calm on his face because Dad had him. And he started laughing and smiling, and we both started laughing and smiling. And then the entire restaurant started to applaud. And I was like, thank you very much. And go back to your uh, amazing Denny's food. So it was an incredible experience. But here's what happened in him, just a moment. It's what happens to us right now. And it's what happened to the disciples. They were in free fall. Everything that they had trusted in went away. They didn't know what the conclusion was going to be. They were in free fall. And many of us feel right now like we're in free fall. We have to realize that our fathers got us that we're not going to slam and hit the ground, that it's going to be okay, that the Lord, no matter what, the Lord is going to be with us. The, the Bible says that I will be with you until the end of the age. That means that God will be with us no matter what. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And again, if you're trying to figure out Jesus, I need you to understand how reliable he is. He comes to the disciples. He doesn't destroy them. He comes to the disciples and isn't mad with them. He says, I want you to have peace. And the Bible says they were glad when they saw the Lord. And that's our hope for you is that you'll be glad when you see a picture of Jesus that compels your heart. John 20, 24 and 25, it says this. Now, Thomas, now it's interesting. Thomas is one of the disciples. But Thomas, for some reason, wasn't with the rest of the disciples when Jesus first showed up. See, this is one of the tendencies for us when we are free-falling, when we're in the middle of worry and concern and fear, is to isolate ourselves. Now, right now, we kind of are isolating, many of us as families, many of us as just, you know, a couple of roommates or something like that. But Thomas does something different. He isolates himself away from everyone else. All of his expectations about who Jesus was going to be were smashed and dashed. And because of that, he finds himself just saying, I don't need community. I don't need people. I don't need to gather in any way, shape, or form. So he's by himself. So when Jesus shows up the first time, Thomas isn't there. He misses everything. It's so important for us, even right now, where we can't gather together as a church in a building, for us to gather together in our hearts and our minds. For you to call someone right now and say, hey, it's going to be okay. God's with you. I'm with you. I'm for you. This is what John 20, verses 24 and 25 say. Now Thomas, the one who's missing, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now I want you to see what Thomas is doing right now. He missed because he forgot to gather. He missed what God was going to do because he wasn't with the church. He decided he could handle things by himself. We can't handle things by ourselves. We were not made to handle things by ourselves. We're made to be in community with others. That's why the Bible says that we bear one another's burdens. And whether it was first century fears and free falls or it's 21st century fears and free falls, we're called to be together. We are the church, not I am the church. Here we go. He says this, he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'm not gonna believe. So here's what he did, basically. Check this out, we do it all the time. Unless this happens, I won't believe. Unless this happens, I won't believe. Many of us have gone through hard times in our life and as a result, we feel overwhelmed. 
And whether it's this circumstance or some prior circumstance that you've gone through, we've all suffered. But it's not the suffering that counts. It's the response to the suffering that counts. You see, Thomas responds improperly. He says, unless I see this, unless God jumps through the hoops that I've placed out there for him, I'll never believe. And so what you've done is you've basically placed in your heart a condition. And that condition basically says, unless God performs for me, I'm not going to believe in him. I want you to think about that for a second because that's very different than what God did, what Jesus did with the disciples. The disciples definitely failed him. The disciples definitely did not perform for him. His response was not one of, well, you better perform for me better. His response was, I want you to have peace. I want us to be okay with each other. So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to think about this, whether you've been a believer for a long time or you've not won yet. Have you put conditions? Unless this happens, I won't believe. Unless this happens, I'm not gonna trust him. Right now, it's easy to fill in those blanks. Right now, unless my business makes it, I'm not gonna trust him ever again. Unless right now, none of my family gets sick, I'll not trust him again. And you can fill in the blank for yourself. But putting conditions on God limits our ability to see what God's going to do in our life. And God desires to do great things, both in the life of the believer and the unbeliever, and a person who's still trying to figure it out. So he says, unless I see in the hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Think about how high his expectations were, not just if I see where the nails were. No, no, I've got to place my hands in his side. Now I want you to see this. Jesus' response to this is profound. Almost a week later after that first event takes place where Thomas says, unless God does this for me, I'm not going to believe. About a week later, about eight days later, his disciples were again. This is John 20, 26 and 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, Thomas missed this the first time, but the second time he's there. Then he said to Thomas, now notice he completely disregards everybody else. Everybody else is in the room at the same time, but Jesus goes to the one who has need. He goes to the one who's not strong. Why? Because the strong take care of the weak. It's what we do as Christians. The strong always take care of the weak. And Thomas's faith was weak and Jesus knew it. He bypasses the rest of the disciples and he goes directly to Thomas and he says this, hey Thomas, put your finger here. Put your finger here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. And then he turns to Thomas and he says this, do not disbelieve, but believe. And I love that statement because what it says basically is to Thomas, he says, hey, Thomas, look, you have to choose to believe. Stop putting conditions on me and believe in me. Trust me with your life. Look, here's the evidence that you need. And God doesn't always do that for every person, but he does that often. He gives us exactly what we need in the moment to respond to him. And so for some of us, it means that God comes and he heals something inside of our hearts. For me, it was the brokenness of a family that basically abandoned me growing up. God comes to me. And the very first thing that he says to me before I was even a Christian, he says this. He says, Mike, actually, I was young. And he said, Michael, I was about 18, 19 years old. He said, Michael, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Those were the exact words that my heart needed to hear. Those were the exact words that he needed to say in order for me to become a follower of Jesus. I, didn't, I wasn't in church. 
In fact, I was in a garage somewhere by myself. I became a follower of Jesus right on the spot. And very much the same way that you can become a follower of Jesus right now, here's what you have to do. Stop putting conditions on God. Imagine you're in a relationship with somebody else right now. And they say, hey, as long as you perform for me in this relationship, I'm going to love you. But as soon as you stop performing for me, I'm not going to love you anymore. Would that really be a good relationship? I think most people would say, no, it wouldn't be. So at the end of the day, we don't want to do to someone else what we don't want done to ourselves. And so I want to encourage you, don't place expectations on God. Stop with the disbelief and start with the trust. Make that choice even today. And just like me, you don't need to be in church for that to happen. God speaks to you right now. He changes your heart. You become a totally different person. So many people around the city of Orlando have come to know Christ in very much that same kind of way. And then what happens is he begins to teach us about the life of God. And as he teaches us about the life of God, it begins to free us up. We become completely different people. But I can hear some people in the background like Thomas going, man, I just, I need to see. I need to know that he was really here. God has always been with you. Even if, like me, you grew up in a place where we never talked about God, where we didn't think about Jesus, our Father has always been with you. And you say, well, why do we go through the difficult things that we went through? I don't know. But I know they brought you to this place where you are right now. And I simply want to tell you this. You've never been alone sitting in your house right now by yourself. You're not alone. God has always been with you. I have a daughter, and she was really, really young, and I was teaching her how to ride a bicycle. And as I was in my neighborhood uh, teaching her how to ride a bicycle, you do the same thing. You, you do the training wheels, and she got to be proficient on the training wheels. She could go up on one of those wheels and do little tricks and stuff, and I knew right then when she started to show off, I'm like, that's it. You're ready to go. We're taking the training wheels off. She was nervous about it. I said, honey, you can do this without a shadow of doubt. And it was interesting because as soon as she got on that bike, she started trusting her dad, right? So I would grab hold of that back of that seat, and I was stabilizing her. I was behind her, and she would learn how to, you know, pedal and make sure that the thing was straight. She had to keep her eyes where she was looking, where she was going. And so what ended up happening? She got proficient with it. I ran and ran and ran and ran behind that bike so long. And then one day, I just let go of the back of the seat. She didn't know it. She had no idea that I'd let go. But I was in her blind spot, just kind of running softly behind her. And then all of a sudden, she turned around. And she noticed that I wasn't where I normally was. She took her eyes off of the direction that she was headed. She was filled with fear for the moment. And she fell off that bike. And she skinned her knee. And I was right there. There wasn't hardly a second she was on the ground. I picked her up. I scooped her up. I was holding on to her. I held her close to my chest. She was crying, Daddy, I'm so hurt. And I knew she wasn't hurt. She felt pain. But I knew that she wasn't hurt. Why? Because her daddy had her. And there was nothing that was going to hurt her. And I held her tight and I prayed for her. And I said, you're okay. And she looked at me just like my boy did. Smile broke out on her face and she said, you know what? She said, thank you, daddy. Your father's been running behind you your entire life. And even if right now you feel like there's a blind spot and you can't see him, he's with you. He's with you. Stop placing conditions on God. 
trust him with your life, it will make all the difference in the world. So we would be remiss right now if we didn't give you an opportunity to do that. And I'm not asking you right now whether you know everything about God you need to know. When I made the choice to follow him, I didn't know anything about him hardly. Other than this, he said he'd never leave me. And he never has. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me. Just close your eyes right now. And I'm gonna pray this prayer. You pray it silently behind me. And then we're gonna give you an opportunity to respond. Father, thank you so much that you've never left me. Father, I feel like my life has been in free fall. I feel unsure and insecure at times. I need your strength. I need your stability. I need you to hold me close. I ask God that you would just open my heart right now. I have conflicting feelings about who you are. I don't understand everything. But Father, I know I need you. Something is speaking to me right now in my heart. And so, Father, I invite your son Jesus into my life to encourage me, to strengthen me, to forgive me my sins. I know I've messed up in my life. There's no illusions there. But I know, God, that when we mess up, you don't pound us. You forgive us. And so, Father, I invite your son Jesus to give me that forgiveness inside and for me to walk with him. I'm never going to do it perfectly, God. But Father, I ask that you would come to me and be with me for the rest of my life, that you would never leave me and you would never forsake me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that right now, it's not a magic prayer. It's a prayer of commitment on your part. It's you saying right now, drawing a line in the sand. Right now, I'm gonna stop putting conditions on God. I'm gonna start trusting him. And so if you made that decision, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the link below. Click on the link below. We'd love to follow up and help you take your first steps in Christ. We want you to experience the joy and the peace of a, and the knowledge of a relationship with Jesus. We want you to see the power of God that has the ability to teach you in your life and to heal you in your life so that you may live whole, not just on this side of life, but on the other side of life. Amen? Amen.